Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that your and your descendants may live loving the Lord your God and obeying him and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 13 to 22. One day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them and the Sabians fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During the season of Advent, we are doing a sermon series called Through the Looking Glass, which is the title of the follow-up to the children's novel, Alice in Wonderland. In this particular children's book, Alice once again enters into a fantastical world through a mirror, but this time everything is reversed. So if you want to walk forward, you move backward. If you want to stand still, then you have to run in place. The entire world that she inhabits is paradoxical. And this is the reason why I've titled this Advent series Through the Looking Glass, because when we're talking about Jesus, he and many elements in his life are paradoxical. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is that each week we're taking an element of that paradox, 
And we are going to talk about how we need to embody that in our lives. And the more we can come to embody that paradox, the more we can become like Jesus, who represents the totality of who we are to become. So last week, we talked about the paradox of intelligence and uncertainty. This week, we are going to be talking about the paradox of finding control in the midst of chaos. And like what I do most of the time during my sermon series on Third Advent is I talk about a poem. I really love talking about poems on Third Advent. I think they lend a lot to this particular day. And so for me, I want to begin by talking about my favorite poet, once again, Khalil Gibran. This will probably be the last time that I do a poem from Khalil Gibran on Third Advent, but I think today is the perfect time for it. So Khalil Gibran, for those of you who are not familiar with him, he's one of the most famous poets of the 20th century. He had this amazing ability to blend Eastern Arabic thought with Western Christian thought into these beautiful musings about life. And his poems are universally loved. Now, I think it's because he's able to blend both of those worlds together. In truth, he did not really become famous until after his death. His most famous work was called The Prophet, which he published in 1923. And The Prophet was utilized by artists like Johnny Cash, The Beatles, Elvis. They took his poetry and put them into their lyrics, and this is really what made his work popular. And so today, we're going to begin by looking at what is probably his favorite poem to me, which is the poem called On Children. And I think that this particular poem is just wonderful to set us up for today, because today, Third Advent is about Mary. And being about Mary, she's getting ready to have a child, and I think that it really sets the stage quite nicely for what we're going to be dealing with today. So let's take a look at this poem. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. Now, I really love that poem, and we're going to come back to it a little bit later on in the sermon. For now, I want to turn to our scripture that we heard from Deuteronomy. And in this scripture, God puts an interesting choice to the people of Israel. And the choice is very simple. If you follow my commandments, if you do what I say, then you're going to live a good life. You're going to have a lot of children. You're going to have a lot of success in your life, and things will go very well for you. Whereas if you don't follow my commandments, if your heart turns away from those laws, if you start to worship idols, then not only will God turn against you, but God will curse you 
and cause your family to perish, which is kind of rough when you read what's being said right there. I think if we were to summarize it very simply, basically what's being said right here is that if you do what God says, good things will happen to you, things will go well for you. If you turn against God, life will be full of pain and suffering. Now, if we were to take the religious component out of that, then we would put it a different way. We would say, if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. If you do bad things, then bad things will happen to you. And I think that most people, they actually believe this to be true. That's how they look at life. And there's definitely some wisdom in this philosophy. If you hurt people, if you harm them, if you go against people and break the law, then people will seek retribution against you. And if you keep breaking the law, eventually you're going to get arrested for the things that you've done wrong. Likewise, if you live a good ethical life, if you treat people with kindness and respect, then generally speaking, people will do that in return for you as well. But this is not always the case. There are some people who act poorly for other people, they hurt other people, and they never get retribution. There are some people who break the law and they never get arrested for the things that they do. And there are many people who live very good ethical lives and they suffer a lot. They have a lot of tragedy in their lives. And Job is a really good example of this. So the book of Job, you find this man who really follows God to the letter of the law, basically follows God very closely. That verse from Deuteronomy, he's the perfect person for that, right? He follows God, good things happen to him. And what does he have? He has all kinds of wonderful things. He has good children. He has lots of servants. He has lots of land. He has animals. He has a beautiful house. And he is living the life that I think in that day and time, it's the best life you could possibly live. Like really, it didn't get much better than that. And yet in an instant, that's all taken away from him. So as we heard over and over again, people would come and say, this part of your property has been destroyed. Somebody came and took this. Your children were in a house and it was blown over or blown down. Very much could have been an earthquake, a volcano coming, doing all of these things. The point of the story really is that it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how ethical you live your life. You can do all the right things. You can have all the best material possessions in the world. And that will not change the fact that you will still be subject to tragedy and loss in your life. You will still suffer even if you have all those things. In fact, the New Testament takes this idea to a whole new level. Jesus was the best of men. And yet he dealt with a lot of pain and suffering literally from the time he was born. He embodies, Jesus is literally the embodiment of how a good person, being a good person, can actually lead to hardship. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus was a good ethical man. Now, because he was a good ethical man, he was willing to stand up and to speak out against oppression. When he saw it, he would stand and say, this is unjust, this is wrong, and this has to stop. And so what happened to him? What happened was that people didn't like that. Because he was a good man, because he was just, because he spoke out against the oppressed, people wanted to hurt him, people wanted to kill him. And he told his disciples, he says, hey, if you're going to walk in my path, if you're going to do the things that I do, you need to expect that the same things are going to happen to you. That if you do the right thing, if you stand up and you speak out, you probably are going to suffer in the way that I have. And so this idea that if you live a good life, you will not suffer, that is simply an illusion. That is not actually true. If you're living a good life, 
chances are that you're going to do things to help others who are hurting and that that's going to put you in harm's way of suffering. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that many of us do not want to cling to the illusion that if we do good things, we won't suffer. I mean, how many of us want to believe, I live a good life, and if I live a good life, good things will happen to me? How many of us plan in our lives? We, we plan to try to mitigate all the factors. We save up to make sure we can retire. We try to make sure that everything's in its right place. And by doing all of that, does that prevent tragedy and loss and hardship and suffering from coming into our lives? No. The fact is, life happens to us. It doesn't matter who you are, chaos enters into our lives. And if there has never been another time to prove that to you, it's right now, right? Nobody was planning for COVID-19, and yet here we are, right in the middle of it. There's nothing that we can do about it. COVID-19 essentially equals chaos in our lives. It prevents us from living our lives the way we want to. It strips us of our freedom. And the fact is, when it comes to this particular pandemic, you can't just go out and do what you want to anymore. You have to think about the risks that are involved. There's risks in everything that you do right now. So it's Christmas time. Many people want to go see their families right now, but you got to weigh the factors. Does my family live in a hot spot right now? If I go, is that going to get me sick? If I do go, do I want to go in my car? Do I want to fly on a plane? If I'm in a plane, am I going to be able to handle that and go into an airport? Am I going to put myself at risk there? Or if I do go and I'm not worried about me, do I have family members who are at high risk? And so you have to get all those things down and figure out what am I going to do? And a lot of people are like, you know what? I'm just not going to go anywhere. I'm going to stay home. And you know what? Since I'm not going to be with anybody, I'll treat myself. I'm going to go to a nice restaurant, my favorite restaurant. And so you want to go to your restaurant, but you can't because it's closed. And so you decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go order out. I'm going to order my favorite dish, but they don't serve that dish anymore because, you know, they haven't had enough business coming through, so they stopped serving that particular dish. And so you sit there and you say to yourself, you know what? I think I'll just stay home. I'll eat something in my fridge. And you open up the fridge and there's nothing in the fridge because you haven't been to the grocery store. And so you say, you know what? I'll just starve because it's not worth it. It's not worth the hassle. Literally, that's how we feel, I think, so much of the time, which is like we've lost control. I really feel like one of the most important things that we have as human beings that we cling to is this idea that we can direct our own lives. We want to believe that we can do whatever we want to do when we want to do it. That is freedom for us. That is important to us. And when we can't live that way, we feel anxiety, we feel angst, and that is really hard for us to live our lives that way. But you know what? You don't need a pandemic to see this. You just need children to see this. So my children, they are 7 and 10 years old. I have two boys, 7 and 10, and they cannot do anything in their lives without our say-so. They literally have no autonomy to make their own decisions. For instance, they can't leave the house without telling us where they are going. Now, my 10-year-old, he is old enough now that he's becoming conscious of all of these constraints that we've placed on him. Whereas when he was younger, he kind of just went with the flow. He was totally willing to conform to our rules. Now he kind of wants to live life according to his own rules. So he wants to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He wants to leave the house when he wants to leave the house. He wants to eat the food that he wants to eat. He wants to eat junk food all day as opposed to eating good food. He wants to stay up as late as he wants to. He wants to watch screens for as long as he wants to, play video games whenever he wants. These are things that he wants. And he is constantly pushing against the boundaries that we have put in place. I feel like Courtney and I are constantly negotiating with him. Like we literally, this is what we do all day is we're negotiating the terms of engagement. So yes, you can go outside for one hour, but not two hours. 
No, you cannot afford that item. And no, I will not split it with you. But yes, you can earn the money to buy it eventually. No, you cannot stay up super, super late, but you can stay up a little bit late. No, you can't have ice cream because you already had a bowl of ice cream. And yes, you do need to brush your teeth before you go to bed. And yes, I know I'm the worst parent ever. Eventually, my children, they will have the autonomy that they crave in their lives. It's actually not too far away for them. All they need is age and trust. The trust that they can make the right decisions. Now, age will come with time. They just need some life experience under their belt in order to make it work. The trust thing, however, that's a little bit more subjective. And I think that this is where I want to turn back to our poem from Khalil Gibran. Because I think that this is going to provide us with a nice little window of how we're going to talk about this idea of chaos and control. So Khalil Gibran begins his poem. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. Now, I think that what he's getting at in this opening part of the poem is this idea that parents often see their children as being their possessions. It's something that they own. They belong to you. And Gibran, what he's saying in this poem is that even though you as a parent have been given the responsibility to raise your child, that child does not actually belong to you. And he says the child belongs to life itself. And if we were to translate this into Christian terms, we would say that your children are not your children they are God's children because we are all children of God. So looked at through this lens, what this means is, is that parents are really surrogate parents. God has given us these children for a period of time to raise them and send them out into the world, but they don't really belong to us. Now, why does this matter? Like, thinking about this, it might be like, oh, that's a really nice way to think about it, but I still got to be a parent. Like, wonderful, right? I think it matters for a very important reason because I think for many parents... They want their children to be reflections of them. They want their children to think like them, to act like them. They want their children to be able to have their beliefs. They want them to embody their morals and their values. They want them to be reflections of who they are. But Gibran, he warns against this. And he says, you may give them your love but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. And so I think as parents, what can happen sometimes is we want them to be miniature versions of us. And we don't want them necessarily to have the autonomy to become these free-thinking individuals, but that's what they need to become. And I think the reason why we struggle with this is because that can be scary for us as parents. And it's particularly scary for me. I'll tell you why I'm scared about that. It's because there's a lot of addiction issues in my family. I grew up watching many, many people around me. They destroyed themselves with drugs and alcohol. And this is why I made the decision from a very young age that I was never going to engage with alcohol and I was never going to try drugs. I wasn't going to do it ever. Because I saw so many people, my family, my friends, succumb to their addictions that I just thought to myself, you know what, it is just not worth the risk for me. And that decision, that has served me well in my life. Because I do have an addictive personality. 
And so I've been able to channel those addictions into very positive things in my life, like exercise. But I look at my sons, and they probably have those addictive genes as well. And so if I'm being honest, I want them to follow in my path. I want them to do what I did because it is the safer way to go. But the truth is, my children are not me. They are their own people. They will make their own decisions, and they will make their own mistakes. And one day, I will sit down with my children, and I will explain to them why I made the decisions that I made. But at the end of the day, what Khalil Gibran says is true. I cannot force them to think the way that I think. In fact, no matter what you do, your children are going to grow up to become their own people. In fact, this idea that you can make them carbon copies of you is kind of an illusory idea. And what I find to be so ironic about life is that, and I've seen this not just with me, but with other parents and their children, which is that the more you attempt to control your children, the more they spin out of your control. And the more you allow them to just be themselves and love them for who they are, the more they tend to emulate the best parts of who you are. And so this leads to one of the most fascinating paradoxes about life, which is that the less you attempt to control the world around you, the more control you gain. Whereas when you try to control the world, when you try to control the people around you, you find that you quickly become mired in chaos and discontent. And if you follow down the path of letting go, if you let your children simply be who they are, then an interesting role reversal occurs. Because I always thought that when I was going to be a parent, that my job would be to teach my children what I know. And it is true, on occasion I do teach them something, but it's generally through osmosis rather than by intention. But what's interesting is that I have found that my children teach me far more than I will ever teach them. Truthfully, without them, they have taught me so much more than I would ever learn on my own. And they have these amazing insights into life that I would have never gotten on my own. So I'll give you an example of this. We were driving in a car one day, and we were talking about the day that Elijah was born. And Courtney posed a question to him. She said, well, where do you think you were before you were born? And he says, we are wind before we are born. And I thought, that's beautiful. Like, I love that answer. I thought that was so fantastic. And being a pastor, I think about life, death, the soul, after, like all the time, right? And in all my time thinking about that, I had never come up with that answer before. And I actually liked that answer better than all the stuff I had ever read about it. And so, as Gibran says, he says, you may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. If I had attempted to make Elijah a carbon copy of me, that answer would have never come out of his mouth, because I don't think that way. But he does. And I think that that's such a beautiful thing about letting children just be who they are. And this brings us to Mary and Jesus. So imagine if Mary, this poor peasant girl of no education, imagine if she was trying to force Jesus to be like her. Imagine if she didn't let him grow up and speak those words of wisdom that when he would speak, she would say, shh, no, we don't say those things. What if she said, no, you have to stay with me. You can't go out there. You have to be a carpenter. You need to take care of me. You can't go out into the world because it's chaotic. It's dangerous out there. If you go out there, you might get hurt or killed. But she never said that. She didn't force him to stay there. She didn't get jealous of his success. She said, go out, preach your gospel. Tell the people about what you have to say. 
She encouraged him to go share those words of wisdom. And so those little bits and pieces that I get from Elijah and Lucas, he was doing that for those people all the time. And I think the most amazing thing about Jesus, what I love about what he did, is that his words are the calm in the chaos of our world. Like right now, we are in this total storm of chaos. And his words feel more relevant than they ever have. And I think this is why every generation just comes back to what he says over and over and over again. We come back to it and we say, yes, these words mean something to us because they provide stability when the world just feels like it's spinning out of control. And this really brings me to the point of my sermon today, which is that although we may not want to admit it, the fact is that we have very little control over our lives. I know it's hard for us to accept that, but it is the truth. And so the question is, when you have so little control, what do you do? And I think that that's what the end of Khalil Gibran's poem is really about. And I want to read this to you, and then I want to talk about kind of where this leaves us. So he ends it by saying, The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. Now, if we were to translate this into Christian terms, we would say that God is the archer, you are the arrow, and God is sending you out into this world of chaos. The question is, how do you deal with that world of chaos once you've been sent out? And this is where I want to give you an analogy, and it's how I want to end this morning, of an ocean. So if you've ever been in an ocean, you probably know that there's lots of currents and tides. Sometimes it's still, but oftentimes there are currents that take you everywhere. And so when you get into the ocean, if the current is especially strong, you can fight against it. You can try to go in the opposite direction of the current, but oftentimes it'll just wear you down. Or you can turn and go with the current. You can go with where the tide is going. And when you do that, what I have noticed is that even though you're not in control, so like you're not the one pushing yourself along, the fact is that you're going in a direction, but you can make these small little adjustments along the way that make it far more enjoyable. So when I'm in the ocean, which I love to swim in, and I get the chance to ride on the current, what it does is it takes me to this place that I was not planning on going, but I can adjust and get there, and it's really something that is very fulfilling. Now, in the same way, we live in a world that is totally chaotic, right? The current is going in one direction, and we can fight against it all we want. And you can do that. You can choose to do that, and you're probably going to wear yourself out. Or you can go with the chaos. You can go with that flow. You can let go and let it take you. Now, the small adjustments that we make, that's Jesus' words, That's Jesus' wisdom. Those are the things that he speaks, the teachings in the gospel. If you take those to heart, those are the adjustments you can make that ultimately make life so much more worthwhile. Now, does that mean it's going to be easy? No. But what it does mean is that if you follow his way, if you follow where he's telling you to go, that ultimately it will be far more fulfilling. And so as we end this morning, I want to come back one more time to this poem by Khalil Gibran. And my hope for you is that as you listen to this, that you will really consider how letting go is one of the best ways to gain control in your life. Now, before we watch it, I just want to say real quick that uh, 
Because of COVID, I couldn't film this the way I wanted to. I had this huge, big idea of what I wanted to do, and there was fire involved, and my wife said that it was too dangerous and I couldn't do it. So anyways, I ended up going with a completely different idea, and I hope that you enjoy it. Getting my boys to do these is becoming a little bit harder every year, but I think it's a beautiful rendition of this poem, and I think it'll give you a sense of how you let go. It really allows people to thrive. Amen. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is still.
Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.